Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 this morning. Again, Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things, for my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Brothers and sisters, you may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His blessing on the preaching of His Word. Oh, Father, how we do come to You with great need, recognizing that if You do not pour out Your Spirit, the Word can go forth, but it, will, it cannot be received well that the call may go out, but it is you who grants the turning of the heart, O God. And we do pray that you would grant that now. Lord, should the word be preached with all wisdom, should it be preached with all zeal, with all love, with all faithfulness to what you have said, if, if your spirit is not poured out, O God, then there is no life that can be granted. Father, grant life in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, even as you raised him from the dead, so too we do pray, grant life to the hearts of sinners. May it be that those who have found life, that they would grow in that life. And may it be that we would all hear the call of wisdom and respond as we ought. For we do ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, one of the great marks of a Christian. One of the things that shows a Christian to be a Christian is the way in which the Christian responds to the Word of God. When a Christian hears God's Word, a Christian will respond with obedience. The Word of God fills his heart with wonder. He hears the voice of his Savior crying out in it, and, it, and the Word of God in this way leads the Christian in the fear of the Lord. And this is something that's quite different from the unbeliever. This is a very real thing that distinguishes the believer from the unbeliever. The unbeliever does not get this sense when he hears the Word of God. It does not fill his heart with wonder. It does not have the effect of producing in his heart a true love for God that then carries out over into uh, obedience. 
There, there is a hearing of the word of God, but it will not, in fact, change his heart for the better. And the Apostle Paul just describes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, where he, he speaks about his ministry being uh, like the aroma of Christ to many. For some, from death to death, and from others, from life to life. There, there are those who will hear the words, there are those who, who will hear the words of the ministry, the preaching of the gospel, and it will bring them into life. And those who have found life will have even more life. But there are others uh, who will not respond well to this call. And in this way, the scriptures justly describe such kind of unbelief as blindness. That the unbeliever cannot see the glory of God. Or as deafness, that there is a a hearing with the ears, but there is not a, a true understanding. Because clearly, if you understood the, the gospel in the way that it is, uh, has been given, you ought, you ought to understand that you ought to respond well because of all the grace that is found. It is, it is the height of foolishness not to respond well to the gospel as it has been given. And thus, those who do not respond well are called uh, blind and deaf repeatedly in the scriptures. And brothers and sisters, I have to, to tell you, I, I, I see this all the time. Uh, one, just as a pastor, you, you just run into this sort of thing. But uh, even in my studies, you, uh, many of you know that I'm, I'm working towards a, a PhD in in, in biblical studies, and one of the things that you have to do is you have to read a lot of the the critical scholarship that's out there. So the the the, the scholars who are uh, they make it their life's work to study the Word of God. They get paid just to do that, and yet many of them are coming from a very unbelieving perspective. They teach at secular universities, and they're teaching people uh, things that are that clearly undermine true belief in the in in the gospel. They themselves clearly do not believe it, uh, and they're teaching others to do the same. So here you have examples. I see it all the time of people. Uh, who understand Greek and Hebrew. They've read very many things. They make it their life's work to understand these words. They make the word of God the main objective of the study of their careers, and they cannot get to the truth of it. They, they cannot get to the truth of it. They, they have less ability to get to the truth of it than our children do. And you, you ask, how could this possibly be? The answer is because there is a very real blindness. They, they've made the Word of God the object of their study, but it, there is a coldness in handling it. It's a detached sort of study, but not, not a kind of study that warms the heart. And this is, brothers and sisters, the thing that is needed. This is the great thing that distinguishes the Christian from the non-Christian. It's not the fact that you study the Word of God, but it's that when you hear it, it melts your heart and causes you to say, if, if such is the grace of Christ then I will give him my life. He is worthy of my obedience. He is worthy of my worship. This, is, uh, this distinction is the, the same thing we find in the Scripture in a number of points. You think about the Lord Jesus Christ says in John 10, where he's speaking to many of the Jews who will not receive him. And what he says is, the reason you don't receive me is because you are not my sheep. You, you cannot hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. And what he says is, those who are my sheep they can hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. They know it. They don't follow the voice of a stranger. They don't know the voice of a stranger. But when they hear the voice of the good shepherd, they are naturally inclined to follow and to believe. You think of the same thing happens in the Old Testament all over the place. One, one example is Micah uh, in chapter 2 where he says, uh, Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly. And the, the implication of the question is this, is that, those who understand the word of God truly, those who fear God, they understand that God's word is always good and they receive it as such. They receive the word of God as a good word for them. 
They, when, when, the, when the Word of God calls you to something, you, you respond with obedience. And in this way, brothers and sisters, the entire world can be divided on the basis of how one responds to the Word of God. There's the believer and the unbeliever, and there, are, there is no third category. How do you respond to the Word of God? And this is, this is seen in Psalm 1 very, very basically, fundamentally. There are those who sit in the seat of scoffers, who walk in the path of sinners. They, they stand by the way and hear all of the wickedness of the world and they follow in it. And in contrast to that, the other kind of person that there is, is there are those who meditate on the word of God day and night and who walk in obedience to that word. And so brothers and sisters, the question then for this morning is, how do you respond to the Word of God when it is preached? How do you respond when the Word of God is preached? Do you hear the voice of your Savior when the Bible is proclaimed? Does it fill your heart with wonder? Now, we are coming to the end of Proverbs chapters 1 to 9. This is the, the final appeal is being made in, in chapters 8 and 9. And here what is being described is wisdom's call. Wisdom, after all of the things that have been said about various kinds of sins and the way in which you are to avoid them, now we have the call. Wisdom is speaking out. There is a call that's going out. And the question is, how will you respond to this call? How will you respond to the Word of God? What is being urged upon you this morning is this. You are to heed her words. Heed the words of wisdom, which are in fact truth and righteousness. Now, you remember about the context. You remember last week we looked at Proverbs chapter 7. This was the, the, the last particular sin that was uh, dealt with in Proverbs chapters 1 to 9, and which was uh, coming back to adultery. And one of the things you remember that I said there was that um, there is a very intentional uh, juxtaposition of two different kinds of calls. So in chapter 7, there is the adulteress who is calling out. She, she, she grabs a young man as he's going by. She's, she's trying to capture him. And now this is, this is being contrasted here with the call of wisdom. Not only is there the adulteress that is calling out, trying to, to grab you and to lead you down a path of sexual immorality, but so too wisdom is calling out. Wisdom is calling out even to the foolish ones. And she is saying, come and turn aside. And if you turn to me, you will find life. All of chapter 8 describes this call. So we're going to be looking at this call for four weeks. And then even in chapter 9, the way in which Solomon ends is, to, is he juxtaposes the call of wisdom again with the call of folly. So all of chapter 8 and all of chapter 9 is simply to urge upon you the great need to respond well to the Word of God. That when wisdom proclaims, calls out, you are to respond with faith and love and obedience. Now, brothers and sisters, this is a, such a fitting thing to consider today. It's, it's fitting in every age. But even as you think about the juxtaposition of chapter 7 and chapter 8, there are, there is, there are two calls. There's, there's two things that are out there. There is the call towards sexual immorality, and there is the call towards faithfulness. And that was what was the way Solomon described it 3,000 years ago, and it is the exact same today. If you look around, there is the call towards sexual immorality on the one hand, and then there is the call of the gospel. And the question is, is which one will you heed? Which one will you heed? You cannot heed both. If you take that step towards the adulteress, you are taking a step away from Christ. 
And if you take the step towards Christ, you are taking the step away from the adulteress. And so we're going to look then at this call here in verses 1 through 11 of Proverbs chapter 8. And again, we're going to see more elements of the call in the coming weeks. Now we're going to look at this, this particular passage under two headings. First, in verses 1 through 3, we have the description of wisdom giving the call. So the idea is that there is just a description of, of the way in which wisdom is, is, is actually making her proclamation. And then in verses 4 through 11, you have a description of the actual calling. So you have the, 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 the call itself being recorded, I should say. So wisdom calls out, and the scriptures tell us that she's calling out. And then the actual call is then described in verses 4 through 11. And what we learn from both of these points is that Christ's words, remember that wisdom is the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ's words are pure and righteous, and therefore you ought to heed, you ought to heed the words as they have gone out. Now, um, as we look at verses 1 through 3, notice in verse 1 there is a rhetorical question that is asked. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? The whole point of the question is, is simply to uh, call you to recognize that the call has in fact gone out. There's no way that there can be an excuse that's made. Well, as someone could say, you know, well, I didn't know, you know, I, I hear the call of the, the adulteress, but I just, I never heard the call of wisdom. I, I, didn't, I didn't hear it. What, what Solomon is saying here is that, yeah, we just described in chapter 7, we described the call of the adulteress, but now there's the call of wisdom. And I ask you, is it not true that wisdom's call has gone out? Is it not true that it's gone out? And then there is a description even then further in verses 2 and 3. How, in fact, it has gone out. Wisdom is described as going up to the top of a high hill. The point is that she's gone to the highest point of an area so that her voice can be proclaimed as loudly as possible. And Solomon's just saying, look, this is what's happened. So the wisdom has, in fact, done this. And not only that, but uh, wisdom has not tried to make her, her voice uh, obscure or to hide it from others. She's gone to the place where people are. She's gone into the streets, as it says in verse 2. Beside the way, where the paths meet, she cries out at the gates of the city, at the entry of the city, that as I say, where everybody is passing by, wisdom has raised her voice. She has gone up so as to make her, her voice heard by many, and she has done that in the place where many people are. And so if you were to ask, if you were to answer the question that Solomon is asking, has wisdom's voice gone out? Has she not raised, uh, raised her voice? The answer is, in fact, uh, yes, it is true. She has, in fact, caused her call to go out. Now, as I mentioned, it's important to remember as we think about Proverbs chapter 8, and this is, this is going to be especially important with Proverbs chapter 8, as we will see in the coming weeks. It's important to remember that wisdom is a person, and wisdom is, in fact, the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. This will become uh, very clear in, in verses 22 through 31, as we will see. The person calling out is, in fact, the Son of God. And the... You remember that in chapter 1, there, were, there was an, an introduction to this call as it was given, but it was, a, it was quite a short passage. Uh, now we have, again, all of chapter 8 and chapter 9 giving this call. There, that is to say, Solomon is uh, emphatically describing the call of the Lord Jesus Christ as wisdom. You remember what the Apostle Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. And Christ himself uh, speaks of wisdom being justified by her children in a statement that is to be taken about him 
uh, about, about himself. He's speaking about himself. He says wisdom is justified by her children. And so if that's the case, it's important that we understand that as we think about uh, how it is actually happening today that wisdom's call is going out. So we've, we've heard Solomon say, at least in his day, that wisdom has gone out, that, that her call has gone out to many. But the question then is, is how does this happen today and does it happen to the extent that Solomon is describing? Uh, is, it, is it actually the case that today wisdom's voice is going out? And if so, where do we see that call? The answer is, yes, the call is going out, and the way in which the call goes out is through the preaching of the Word of God. That is the way in which wisdom has gone out. How do you know that verse 1, does not wisdom cry out, and understanding lift up her voice? How do you know that that's actually happened? The answer is, you can look around, you can see that the Word of God is being preached. That is the way in which the Son of God proclaims his message to the world. And you could ask, has this not happened? The answer is clearly it has. Uh, this is what, what uh, Paul is speaking about in Romans chapter 10 when he speaks about the necessity of preaching, where he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to, to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? How are they to hear without a preacher? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, the Apostle Paul says that, and then the very next thing he says in Romans 10 is, I ask you, has the call not gone out? Has it not gone out? He, he, he asked basically a similar question. How, is it true that this call has gone out through the preaching of the Word of God? And what he says is, uh, very interestingly, he quotes from Psalm 19. He says, yes, in fact, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And what's amazing about Paul using Psalm 19 is that in the original context, if you know Psalm 19 at the beginning, the beginning of Psalm 19 is not actually about the preaching of the Word of God. It's actually about creation. And what the psalmist is saying is, look, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Everything you see around you is constantly proclaiming the, the, the glory of God. And surely the voice of all of creation has gone out everywhere as creation itself is everywhere. It's, it's, it's a broad call that's been made. Now, amazingly, uh, amazingly, what Paul's doing in Romans 10 is he's saying, the preaching of the word of God has gone out similar, similarly to the way in which creation proclaims God's glory. Just as creation has proclaimed God's glory all the way to the ends of the earth, so too in the preaching of the word, we have the same thing. Therefore, Paul's context in Romans 10, the Jews have surely heard it. They can't give the excuse that the call has not gone out because even Psalm 19, that language can be used of the preaching of the gospel. And brothers and sisters, this is the reason why it's, of course, important for the church in every age to be proclaiming the word of God, to be zealous in evangelism, to be bold in the preaching of the word and in its missionary efforts. And the point here is that uh, not only is it necessary for the church to do this, but it's important to recognize that the church has generally done this, that this, in fact, has happened. In, in, not to say there's not been weaknesses and, and whatever else, but if you look at the history of the church, God has always poured out His Spirit and raised up many people to proclaim His Word such that many people from many nations have heard the call of wisdom go out. It has always been published broadly. It has always happened. 
And therefore, the Word of God has in fact gone out. Wisdom's call, so to speak, is in fact going out. And even, brothers and sisters, one of the implications of this is, is that uh, if it was true in Solomon's day that he could say that wisdom is calling out and, and her call has been heard in many places, how much more can we say it living in the age of the gospel where the, the gospel is now not just constrained to the Jews, so to speak, but it is now proclaimed all throughout the earth as God calls all the nations to himself. It's one of the, one of the great prophecies of, of the Old Testament concerning the age of the Messiah was is that the nations would be called. Think of Isaiah chapter 2, all the nations will stream to Zion. They will all stream in. Think of Isaiah 60, all the nations will come and they will, they will lay down their gifts before the king. And they will do this because they will see the great light that is rising over Zion. So th this, was, this was prophesied. And so if the call had gone out in the Old Testament, surely it has gone out in the New Testament. Does wisdom not cry out? Has understanding not lifted up her voice? Brothers and sisters, the Son of God has made it happen, and He continues to make it happen. Now, the call then is formally described in verses 4 through 11 in terms of uh, the words, the, the contents of what wisdom is saying. It's recorded. And in verses 4 and 5, there is a, a description of those whom wisdom is addressing in the call. And there are two main things to note about this. The first is, in verse 4, that you'll notice the call goes out to people without discrimination. All kinds of people. And secondly, in uh, verse 5, there is a particular emphasis on the call going out even to the simple or the fools. It goes, goes out to all kinds of people even the simple or the fools. Now, uh, in verse 4, notice the way in which it's described is it's going out to the sons of men. That is to say, it goes out to people generally. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, we could say all throughout the Bible, you could see many examples of this, but this is the reason why there is a free offer of the gospel. The message of the gospel is this. If anyone repents, if any person repents, anyone in the world doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter what you, what's happened to you or what you've done, if anyone in the world repents of their sins, anyone, you will be saved. You repent of your sins, you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will have the blessings of the kingdom of God given to you. That's the message of the gospel. It's a call that goes out to every single person. It's a message of hope that has not been restricted to one kind of person. It goes out to all. And, and even in fact, brothers and sisters, you can even see this by the way in which God often chooses to call the lowly. You think about it, he doesn't, God does not generally call the noble, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. He generally calls the lowly in order to show this, this news is, is for every single person. Now, you may be tempted to think, well, surely it's for all kinds of people, but it can't be for the fools because we're talking about wisdom. Folly, in some sense, can try to address fools, and that makes sense. Wisdom, you would think, would be for the wise. Is wisdom not for the wise? But here, notice, there is even an evangelistic element to the call, even in Proverbs chapter 8. The call is specifically said to go to those who are, in fact, simple and foolish, to those who do not have wisdom. You may, you may find yourself, you may say, you know, I can't have wisdom. I'm a fool. But notice, you are directly addressed. If you find yourself in a situation where you, where you recognize your foolishness, the, the offer is this, if you go to wisdom, if you heed her call, she will grant you wisdom. 
God does not turn down those who come and ask him for wisdom, as uh, James says in James chapter 1. If you turn to wisdom, if you are one who is currently opposed to wisdom, you turn to wisdom, you will be granted the fear of the Lord. And in being granted the fear of the Lord, you will then have all the blessings of the kingdom of God. And so the, the call that goes out then, brothers and sisters, is a gracious call. Now, uh, why should you listen to the call? Why is it, it goes out to all kinds of people, why is it that you should listen to the call as it goes out? The answer is given really in verses 6 through 9. And this is because um, the call comes with the revelation of the glory of God. The call itself reveals that the one who is making the call is in fact glorious. There is, there is nothing like the call of wisdom that goes out through the preaching of the word of God. And this is described in verses 6 through 9. And it gives us insight into the nature of uh, the word of God. Nature, and even further then, it gives us insight into the nature of God, who is the one who speaks the word. And so notice in verse 6, why should you hear, heed this call? Well, in verse 6, listen for, so the reason why you ought to listen, I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things. The answer is, well, why should you hear? Because the things that are proclaimed in the gospel are excellent. They are amazing. They are things related to the eternal God, things that the mind of man cannot fathom on its own, beyond the comprehension of, of man, both in terms of the greatness of God's uh, power and might and majesty, his transcendence, but also in terms of his love, his mercy, his grace, as he has shown it to you, things pertaining to the glory of the triune God, things that are uh, uh, things that fill the heart with wonder and then clearly ought to fill the heart with wonder. Things describing God himself. You remember what the Apostle Paul has said in, in Philippians chapter 4, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure or lovely or commendable or excellent or worthy of praise, think about these things. And brothers and sisters, these are the things of the word of God. These are the things that go out in the calling of God. They are things that remind us and teach us about uh, who he is and what he has done for us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll notice even further, the things that are spoken of are things that are in fact right. The end of verse 6. They are things that are in fact uh, good in accordance with goodness. There is a, a righteousness to the word of God. You remember what uh, Moses has said about the law of God. All the nations will be impressed with Israel because they will see the righteousness of uh, this law. And here we have a stark contrast. The world goes off in its ungodliness and in its wickedness, but wisdom is here speaking of what is right. Things that are excellent, things that are right in a world full of wickedness and in a world full of lies. Now you'll notice even further that in verse 7, there are similar things that are said, for my mouth will speak truth and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. So here, uh, the reason why uh, wisdom speaks about excellent things is because this is her nature. The nature of, uh, of, in fact, the Son of God is to speak the truth and is to hate uh, wickedness. Now, one of the things that's very important to note about verse 7 is you'll notice that truth is being contrasted not with lies or falsehoods, but with wickedness. So there is truth on the one hand, and this is contrasted with wickedness. Now, this, this comparison is, is very important to, to, to understand. Uh, what this implies is that, uh, in verse 7, is that the, the right things must also be the true things. 
and the false things are in fact the wicked things. It cannot be right and good if it is not true. If it is not true, it is not right. This is the reason why the devil is called the father of lies. He's wicked and he's also a liar. The truth is in fact right. Now, the reason why I spend a little bit of time on, on this comparison is because this is diametrically opposed to the way the world thinks today. We live in a postmodern world that denies the possibility of objective truth. So the way this works is there are many who will speak of my truth or your truth. And there is a language of respecting another person's lived experience. So the idea is that you, you have your experience and there is no truth outside of that experience that can rein in that, exp that experience. There, there's nothing that can speak authoritatively to it. And so what this leads to is you have things like you know, the lived experience of a black person or the lived experience of a white person. And these are different things. They can speak different truths. Or you think of those who speak of the truth according to men or women. This is often used in the argument for abortion. There is a man can't speak to a woman about the right to choose because it's a woman's truth. A woman has the right to make the decision. And what's implied in that is that there is no objective truth that is above a man or a woman such that we can both access it and we are both subject to it. Now, what this ends up leading to is uh, basically because there is no ability to, to ascertain an objective truth, what it means is that the only thing that one can speak about are things related to your experience and therefore they have really nothing to do with the truth, which means you are perfectly free to speak all kinds of lies and uh, no one can say that you are speaking wrongly. That's the way the world thinks today. Now, the further problem with the world is that there is uh, that the world will also then say that when, even though it is denying the possibility of objective truth, it asserts that what it teaches is morally right, is morally right, and you must bow the knee to it. There is the ungodliness of the gender theory, feminism, critical race theory, the body, po body positivity movement. All those things are related. And in all of them, one of the threads is that there is no objective truth. But notice what, what, what Solomon is saying here. I will speak what is true, wisdom speaks what is true, and I hate wickedness. If it, if, it, if, it cannot, if it cannot be shown to be true, it is also not right and good. It is wicked. The truth is the thing that is right and good. And this is, this is, uh, this is the problem that we see with the world today. Um, righteousness must be grounded in the truth, and the world today thinks that righteousness there can be a real righteousness without there, in fact, being a real truth. Uh, in, in the Enlightenment, there was the thought that you could have truth without wisdom, that you, that you could understand things that are true without actually having a fear of God. And the, the postmodern today, which is, what, which is really where we're living in the postmodern world, the postmoderns recognize that this is impossible, but rather than turn to wisdom, or rather than turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, they would rather just go off in their own foolishness. But all the time, brothers and sisters, wisdom is declaring that the significance of wisdom in the call today is that wisdom is telling you what is excellent, what is right, and what is true. And that is in opposition to the things that are, in fact, uh, wicked. And what wisdom says is that those, in verse 9, those who truly fear God and receive wisdom's words well, they are those who understand this. 
And brothers and sisters, I appeal to you with regard to the word of God. Have you not seen the excellence of God's word? Have you not seen its righteousness and its truth? It's, it's a perfect diagnosis of the heart of man. All of those who hear the voice of their Savior calling out, they understand it to be thus. And you can look through the history of the church, you will always see there have always been many who have understood, who have understood the word of God in this way. And they've, their hearts have been filled with wonder. They understand uh, they understand the wise and the understanding understand that wisdom is in fact speaking uh, in this way. And therefore, brothers and sisters, this is the, this is the call that goes out. This is the revelation of, of God in the call. Surely, if this is the case, if this is what wisdom does, if she calls out to all kinds of people in grace and mercy and love, revealing things that are excellent and right and true and good, if this is the case, surely then receiving wisdom is more valuable than all the riches of the world. Better than silver or gold, better than rubies, nothing, there is nothing of all the things that you desire that can compare with wisdom. And this, brothers and sisters, is because wisdom is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom your soul loves. Brothers and sisters, the call goes out. Heed the call and live. Heed the call and live. Remember, there are two who call. There's always wisdom and folly. Both of them address the foolish. Both of them address those uh, who are prone to turn aside. Both of them uh, offer life. However, one actually leads to life and the other leads to death. And so, as is always the case with the preaching of the gospel going all the way back to the days of Moses, there is life and death that is placed before you. Uh, choose life and live. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do thank you for the, the immense grace of the call of the gospel, the free offer of the gospel that goes out uh, to all. And Lord, we, we know the words of, of Christ that he has given, that many are called, but few are chosen. Uh, Lord, grant, grant, oh Lord, by your mercy, grant by your grace, that there would be, that we would be among those, those few who would in fact uh, heed this call well. Um, grant us eyes to see, O oh God. We know that our hearts are prone to wander. Grant us uh, the, the eyes to see and the ears to hear. For Lord, without you so acting for us, we know that we are lost. Grant it for the sake of the honor and glory of your name. For truly your son is worthy of having many bowed the knee to him. A grant that we would be among those people. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats, and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day, we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. 
one of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, there is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly in this place, uh, through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.